Today on Let Me Be Frank, we welcome Father Chris Ford, the Vocations Director for the Diocese of Bridgeport. He'll tell Bishop Caggiano about his own story, his own journey to priesthood, um, talk about vocations and fostering vocations and working with young people and, well, a whole lot of stuff. Stay tuned for a great conversation. We're on 1350 AM and 103.9 FM and on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. If you still don't have the app, go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com to download it right away. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations of Faith. As of February 15th, pastors and ministry leaders in the Diocese of Bridgeport can apply for the program support grants with the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. With a focus on youth engagement and innovative approaches, the JP2 Fund has funded diverse programs typically running from September to June. Pastors and ministry leaders in the Diocese of Bridgeport can apply for up to $10,000 in support of religious education and faith formation programs. The applications are window is open now and it's open until Friday, March 31st. To apply, go online to foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it is good to be with you as we now enter into the season of Lent. Huh? Yes. Amazing crazy yeah and one of these podcasts we're going to spend some time talking about lent and the lent journey but today we have another topic to talk about extremely important yes yes mm -hmm. yes we do and uh it we're featuring a great guest today great guy great priest his name is father chris ford well father yeah. ford was no, no. Did you see the look he just made when you said that? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I thought I was on today. <laughs> Father, you are a great guy and a great priest. For those of you who don't know Father Chris Ford, he was ordained a priest for the Diocese of Bridgeport on June 1st, 2019. He's the youngest of four children and a native of Naugatuck, Connecticut. Father is well-educated and well-credentialed. He has a degree from Southern Connecticut State University, a master's of education from Kent State University, and he is pursuing a PhD at Fordham's Graduate School of Education. Father Ford, uh, when I talked to him before this, uh, this today's show, he said he was able to get through seminary with the help of our Blessed Mother, St. John Paul II, and Van Morrison. And wow. Father, wow. <laughs> Father is now uh, the vocations director for the Diocese of Bridgeport. He's the director of campus ministry and chaplain to the office of the superintendent of schools. Father Ford, welcome to Let Me Be Frank. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be with you both, Bishop and Steve. It's, it's such a, a joy for me to be here and to, uh, to spend some time talking with you, hopefully about... Uh, Promoting vocations to the priesthood and and a little bit about the the life, the wonderful life that it yeah. is to, to yeah. be a priest. Father Ford, you're doing a great job. And and I keep you Thank very you, busy, sure. which is good, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I don't mind the devil's workshop, right? So this is good. This but That's no, right. seriously. That's right. That's right. And that was the that was the short version <laughs> of my bio. So <laughs> yeah. but seriously, you're doing a, a really tremendous job. And um, we are going to get to vocations because that is the topic of the day. But as I as I warned you earlier when we met, my first question is always the same, and that is, 
Tell us your vocation story, your vocation journey. Sure. Yeah. So um, I always like to say, in a sense, that God called me when I was in second grade, and I called back when I was 23. Uh, I think that's the, the easiest way to say it. You know, I grew up uh, in what I call a pretty garden variety Catholic family. You know, we went to mass every Sunday. Uh, my sisters and I went to Catholic school from from kindergarten through eighth grade. And we said grace before meals. And that was kind of it in a sense. Not that that's not a lot, but that's, you know, we, we didn't, we weren't like super involved in the parish life and everything like that. My sisters and I were doing so many different things, but, um, you know, grew up in a place where faith was definitely important, where faith was, was part of just our, our daily lives. So when we were in second grade, when I was in second grade, we were learning about the sacraments, getting ready for uh, First Holy Communion, and we were going to do a mock baptism. We, we baptized a doll. And so we all were going to play different roles, and uh, everyone else in the class volunteered to be either the parents or the godparents or the spectators. And I was the only kid in class who volunteered to be oh. the priest. Uh, and so I think that was probably the, the first time that that priesthood really entered my my mind as, as a possibility. And, you know, so I went home and, and, you know, told my parents and I was taking karate lessons at the time. So I took one of my colored belts and wore it as a stole and, you know, baptized the doll. So that was uh, that Did was you how it first started. Did you confirm the doll after that? <laughs> I, I did not. I, I did not, Bishop. I did not. It was not. It was not a, a, a situation of extreme emergency. So, and I, you know, even you back knew. then, I, I tried to follow canon law as best I. Could. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to so, interrupt you. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's no. It's totally fine. So you know, it was just from there. Priesthood was was always kind of. I would kept going back and forth with you know what I wanted to do when I grew up between priesthood, fighter pilot. You know, that was a big one for me for a long time. And um, one of the real kind of defining moments in terms of considering priesthood came when I was in high school. Uh, for the first time, my parish had a newly ordained priest assigned to the parish. And and that was really transformative for me, this idea of seeing a younger guy, seeing someone who, um, you know, really was was kind of in the prime of his life, so to speak, and 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 a little bit more easy to connect, right? We we had some wonderful priests growing up, but guys who, you know, were a little bit older, and so uh, to have a newly ordained priest that really on fire for the priesthood, really on fire for 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 the Lord, was was transformative. Um, and and to see him really as as a normal guy, so to speak, as well, um, you know, a little bit more accessible in that way. So. Um, throughout high school, uh, becoming a, a priest was actually even more of a serious thought in my mind. Started becoming a catechist at my parish and, you know, had been altar serving since fourth grade and all that. So uh, believe it or not, actually started meeting with the vocations director in Hartford, right, where Naugatuck is, is part of the Archdiocese of Hartford. And so had started meeting with the vocations director and um, became what is now, I can say, as the vocations director, probably my worst nightmare. Uh, which was I took the application, I filled it out and never sent it back. So, um, you know, I just something, you know, I, it, part of it was meeting a girl. Part of it was just, you know, life and and not really being totally ready for it. So I went to college and while I was in college, did what a lot of uh, I think young people do, which is stop going to mass, you know, and and never really stopped believing and but just sleeping in on Sunday became way more important. So 
but over time, slowly started to come back on my own. My parents were great. You know, I never really pressured me. They just kept living their life of faith as a, as a wonderful example to me. And in some ways, it became one of the best things that ever happened to me because when I came back to the faith, when I started going to Mass again, it was on my own. It was my decision. Uh, and it wasn't my parents just forcing me to go to church anymore, forcing me to go to mass. It was something that was resonating in my heart and, and a call that I was I was definitely receiving, you know, just to live a life of faith again. So um, began that and, and ultimately moved to Pennsylvania to work and, and go to graduate school and then came home uh, one weekend for a housewarming party for some friends who bought a house and saw a friend there that I hadn't seen in a few years. Uh, and it turned out and I had no idea that this had been this has happened. Turned out he had just entered seminary. He had just entered St. John Fisher uh, that fall, um, and he would ultimately leave seminary and is now married and, and has, a, has a child and everything. But, you know, he kind of called me out <laughs> and, you know, I started asking him questions about life in the seminary and, and all these things. And, and his response was, you know, you don't ask the kind of questions normal people ask. Um, about seminary. And and he had remembered from high school that I had thought about being a priest. And so he kind of just hit me on the head and said, you know, what happened to that? And I, I didn't really have a good answer for him. So he said, I think you should meet with the vocations director and and see what God's doing in your life. So he set up a meeting for me a few weeks later with the, the vocations director, who uh, was Father Rob Canale at the time, now Monsignor Canale. And I met with him and he affirmed that God was definitely doing something in my heart. So I started to meet with him more regularly, meet with my pastor out in uh, Pennsylvania more regularly, and just realized that this was where this was where I belonged. I had tried doing a lot of different things, teaching, higher education, politics. I worked at a funeral home for a while, I was going to be a funeral director, and nothing really seemed to click um, until I really started to think and pray about priesthood and, and seminary and... Uh, so I, uh, you know, this time I took the application and, and not the first time it was offered. I did not want to do that again. Uh, so I waited a little bit to make sure I was sure. And once I was took the application, filled it out and was accepted, uh, on the feast of St. Joseph. I remember it very clearly. It was on the feast of St. Joseph that I was accepted and began seminary that fall. And as they say, the rest is history, some of which... So, so fall forward. So, your your story is unique in some regards because it is not often that a friend of similar age is the catalyst to get another young person, another friend, to really seriously take a vocation to priesthood seriously. It's either like a priest or a mentor. So that's a very I did not know that. It's a very interesting story, right? And the fact that he did not, the Lord called him out but called you in yeah it's quite unique yeah. tell us about seminary yeah. did you enjoy it did you like it tell us the real story now yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know i will say this i will say this i there there were certain parts of seminary that i that i really loved and there were certain parts that were more challenging than others uh the the parts that i loved were really having this this dedicated environment of prayer and discipleship you know in many ways my discernment of a vocation was was not long after my reversion to faith so in some ways i was still kind of you know crawling a little bit just in the spiritual life 
And so to have the opportunity to, to grow in that way and to really grow in my relationship with God in a dedicated environment with support, right? That's sometimes I think something we, um, we take for granted a little bit. The fact that I had support, I had friends, I had classmates who were doing the same thing, striving for the same thing, a spiritual director, which I had never really had before, um, to have that support structure. Um, became really, really important and, and something that, you know, was was consistent throughout my time, both at St. John Fisher and then uh, ultimately at, at Dunwoody. And, you know, I think one of the best experiences I had in seminary was I spent a summer at Creighton University uh, at the Institute for Priestly Formation. And that was, it's a nine to 10 week intensive summer program for seminarians, kind of like a novitiate, if you will, for diocesan seminarians that really talks about the spirituality of diocesan priesthood and the spirituality of formation, what it means to open your heart to God, to, for his healing, for the freedom that he wants to give you. And, you know, I don't know that I would be here if I didn't have that summer. I think that was probably one of the most transformative experiences of my life is, you know, I always say I went out there with a prayer life and I came back with a spiritual life. You know, I came back with a real relationship and a real understanding of what that means. Um, and so that was something that, that continued on. And I loved the pastoral work, um, especially I was terrified of hospital ministry. Uh, I mean, absolutely terrified of it. And then I had the opportunity to spend time at St. Vincent's um, with uh, Deacon Tim Bolton, who just totally transformed my view on hospital ministry and, and, and even gave me you know, great opportunity to, to take those <laughs> lessons and, and use them in other places. Um, what I wasn't a big fan of <laughs> was, um, you know, I had, I was living on my own. I was, you know, doing my own thing and lo- loving life. And, and so this idea of kind of going back into a caged environment, so to speak, was definitely a challenge. Um, you know, uh, but also I, I went straight from college to graduate school, finished my master's in May and started St. John Fisher in August. So by the time I got to ordination, I had essentially been in college for 12 straight years. I was getting exhausted. <laughs> um, that was a real challenge. And, and so much of what we're learning is very heavy. It's very rich, right? The theological tradition of the church is so deep. Um, it's, it's sometimes, I'll be honest, it was hard to get motivated to go to class, uh, but obedience helps. So does Dunkin' Donuts. And, <laughs> you know, um, it was, that was a challenge for me at times was just that, you know, really just sometimes the motivation and, and so, the, the, uh, so, being forward, so, so <laughs> you were in school 12 straight years and what does your Bishop do? Send you back to school. That's true. He did give me some time off. Because he's merciful. <laughs> I did he's have merciful. a and he had COVID. COVID. <laughs> he had no control over. So tell us what you're studying now. Yeah. So I am uh, pursuing a PhD in administration and supervision uh, from the Graduate School of Education at Fordham. Which we will put to great use. You will put to great use once you're done. Okay, I'm, I'm so now sure talk to will. me about, you made a very interesting distinction. Now, the reason I'm asking all these questions is not because I'm nosy. I'm asking the questions because there are many people who are listening who only know of the seminary because they've seen it from the outside, particularly young men who are discerning, yeah. and they don't have very much of an idea of what goes on in the four walls. And I think that's helpful to vocational sure. discernment is the more we can give picture and color to what happens, 
right? The, the more the mystique is eliminated, yeah. that may not be correct, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's transforming. Seminary formation is transforming right, right. before our very eyes. And, and so there's some really awesome things right. that are happening uh, in, in seminary well, one formation. One of the things right I'd now. like to point out is just as your friend challenged you, which was a moment of grace, in the seminary, when it works well, and oftentimes it does, there is peer-to-peer formation, right? You learn from each other as friends, as brothers. It's kind of like being in the Marines, right? In a sense, mm-hmm. there's a common mission, there's a common formation. Sometimes there's a great sacrifice, but it draws the guys together. Even, even in my day, in ancient history, when I was in seminary, we had that experience. I think now it's even more so because of the emphasis on human sure. formation, right? Basic being comfortable in your skin, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There was there was a group of four of us in particular. Um, uh, all four of us have, have been ordained now. Myself, Father Edmund Ortiz, uh, who's a priest of the Diocese of Brooklyn. Uh, Father Roger Velasquez, who's a priest in Rockville Center. And Father Jobin Thomas, who's a priest of the Sierra Malankara Church. And the four of us... Uh, at least once a week between morning prayer and our first class, we'd go to Duncan down the street and grab a cup of coffee. And some of the conversations we had there were some Mm -hmm. of the most formative Mm -hmm. that I ever had, because when you build that community, when you build that circle, um, you know, that circle of trust, so to speak, it allows you to be vulnerable in a way that, that you can share what you're struggling with, um, with guys who are going through something similar and their support, they're, they're challenging you to be better. Um, their confidence that you can be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Their confidence mm-hmm. that you can grow uh, sometimes is, is one of the most important things that you can have. And so I have this, this wonderful picture of the four of us on our, uh, the day we graduated, which was really the last time we were, were all together at our convocation. And, um, and that's a, a community that mm-hmm. I will always right. treasure for you sure. You made an interesting distinction between spiritual life and prayer life. Explain that a bit more. Sure. Um, so I look, I, I'll start with spiritual life because I really look at the spiritual life as having a real level of friendship with God, right? This ability to have a constant interiority, even in the busyness, right? I think St. Ignatius is the one who uses the phrase contemplative in action, right? This idea that, that God is always present to me and, and, my response to that is to kind of open my eyes and open my heart to how he's being present to me and then how am I responding to that. And that's an ongoing thing. That's that's not just that time in the chapel, although that's kind of a real graced moment and a real opportunity to immerse in that reality. Um, but I think spiritual life is is that. It's this idea of, of an ongoing constant friendship with God, kind of, you know, like your best friend on earth, right? That you may not always be talking, you're right, you're not always texting them or, or calling them, but there's always an affinity, right? There's always a relationship and, and, and anytime you want to engage it, you're not re-engaging, you're just continuing, right? Um, prayer life, I look at is is kind of a first step. It's it's in many ways it's it's the getting to know, right? And it's the the training of the heart if you will, to be in that posture, to be in that posture, especially of receiving. Um, and, you know, I think it, it, it's the beginning, but we have to remember that it's the beginning, right? We have to remember that it's supposed to, 
to lead to something. Um, and in our prayer life, we often do a lot of the talking. We're, whether it's through rote prayers or, or kind of even more free form, I think in the spiritual life, we, we try to do, we don't always succeed, but we try right. to do more listening right. and we try to have a generosity in receiving right. the gift of so God. So in a sense, that distinction is not unique to priesthood. It's a distinction for all Christians, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's just the life, life of discipleship. discipleship. Right, absolutely. Uh, when I look back on my seminary time, I fondly remember how beautiful the liturgies were. And mm. um, and they were inspiring. Of course, it was difficult for me when I made the transition to parish life because now suddenly you went to celebrations where there were 60 or 70 guys and everything was beautifully sung and we would pray the office together. And then suddenly the first day in the parish, I'm sitting in my room praying morning prayer by myself. And I said, what is missing here? Right? <laughs> right? But you make the yeah. transition, right? It, it, that's part of the process. Um, yeah. So this Priestly Formation Institute, right? This a, a create, um, fill yep. us in a little bit. What, what were some of the topics that were talked about? Do you remember? I do, I do. So the very first thing we did was we took a class. It was, it was a week-long thing for a couple hours a day on just spirituality and really talking about the different levels of our hearts and how often we engage the different levels, kind of the surface level, which we're all pretty attuned to in many ways. Then the, the what they would call the psychological level, which is where we start to get a little bit deeper and we think we've gone deep, right? We think we've gone into the depths of our hearts, but that there is a level below that the more fundamental level, the core of who we are, our identity. Um, and um, really, that's the place where God lives, right? Especially in the, the deep desires of our hearts, not necessarily the desires, you know, to have a good job or, or those kinds of things, but the deep desires of happiness and peace and joy um, and affirmation and to be loved and to be delighted in. And right from there, we went into an eight-day retreat. We had an eight-day silent retreat. That was week two, and and that was a remarkable experience. I mean, it's an Ignatian-style retreat, so you're doing four holy hours a day plus mass plus spiritual direction every day. And um, from there, we went into a couple other uh, courses on on priestly identity and how priestly identity is something we have to kind of learn into through our understanding as beloved son first and foremost, right? That, that each of us is a beloved son and daughter of, of the heavenly father and how then we begin to assimilate and, and, and be configured to these different identities of Christ, um, as healer, as shepherd, but all always as son, right? To, to be configured to Christ as, as son. Um, we did a class on, on, on celibacy and on what it means to live not singly, but a spousal union of the heart um, with God and to overcome some of the wounds in our own lives that make that challenging and ended with a class on the spirituality of the liturgy. So during seminary, we typically learn a lot of the history of the liturgy, the rubrics, the laws, those kinds of things. But this really went into the depth of it and what's happening underneath and how to enter into that. And through the course of it all, we're receiving weekly spiritual direction. We are expected to do daily holy hours or praying in community, different conferences on discernment of spirits and doing some pastoral work. I had a wonderful, wonderful pastoral assignment um, working at a place uh, just over the border into Iowa called On With Life. 
um, where we ministered to and, and worked with people who had traumatic mm. brain injuries. Um, and so we worked with the recreation team there. And, you know, sometimes it was just singing karaoke, mm -hmm. you know, or playing a game or something like that. But it was it was just being present, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, because if you're if you're living an authentic spiritual life, one of the best ways to, to kind of, for lack of a better term, test that is what's your desire to give of yourself? What's your desire to um, to go out and minister and to be present to others? Uh, the greater that desire, I think it's it's a pretty good indication that you're doing some really mm -hmm. good receiving mm -hmm. um, of the gift mm -hmm. of the Father, you know, like Mary mm -hmm. in the visitation. Mm -hmm. So, so again, once again, what you're describing is um, not unique to priestly formation. This whole development of the inner core, the, the discovery of the inner core, is really what Saint Augustine spoke of. We've spoken about it many times. It's what we talked about with the one, that the encounters with Christ in the plural are meant to forge a path to go deeper and deeper and deeper into that place where there is there is silence before God. There are no words that are needed. Right? Mm -hmm. That's heaven. Yeah. And our ability Yeah, and our ability to understand that's not no. immediate always. Right. It's something that that takes a lot of time. I think, you know, one of my kind of core experience of God, I was a sophomore in high school and um, unfortunately, I had a friend who who died in a car accident. And for some reason, he was a good friend, but for some reason, I couldn't cry. I just, I don't know if I didn't know how to process it or was in shock or whatever. And then, but I couldn't cry all weekend in school on Monday around my teachers, my family or my friends and everyone's crying. I couldn't. And then the next day was his funeral at our home parish. And I went with my friend and my mom and the whole place was full of our classmates and everything. And I still couldn't cry. And then I went up to receive communion and I received the Eucharist. And by the time I got back to the pew, the floodgates had opened. And, and that moment was a moment that I knew was impactful from the moment that it happened. But I didn't understand why until that summer in Nebraska, until I was able to process it and to really open my heart to receive that God is not just present to me now, but he's always been there and that it looks different constantly. And it, it's something that I have to be constantly reviewing and, and opening my eyes and my heart to. Um, and that that's, an, that's a universal experience, right? That's a universal reality that God's always Absolutely. been there. And Absolutely. he always will be. And so we have to open ourselves up to that and, and, and allow him to break in and allow him uh, to be present and to recognize it so we can respond Absolutely. with generosity. Absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. So I'm going to jump in. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Um, but uh, on the other side of the break, um, I'm sure we'll talk about, well, a lot more stuff, including vocations. But I mean, this, these life stories are fascinating father i mean i love hearing them so this is let me be frank on the veritas catholic network father chris ford vocations director here in the diocese of bridgeport is the bishop's guest today and we will be right back
If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Father Chris Ford, Vocations Director here in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Excellency? Yeah, so, so Father Ford, so let's talk about the vocations of our diocese, the landscape, Mm-hmm. And some of the work that you're doing, which is which you sure. really done some tremendous work in, in fostering vocation. So give us the lay of the land. How are we doing vocationally? Start there. Uh, we can always be doing better. <laughs> we can always be doing better. Uh, the first thing, I, first thing I have to say is that we have some phenomenal seminarians. I mean, we have some some men in formation who are just really, really top notch guys, really dedicated to to growing in holiness. Um, and to to being generous in their response to the Lord. God willing, we'll be ordaining, I think, six men to the priesthood this year, which is extraordinary for us, uh, but also makes my job uh, that much more challenging because we want the poster to stay the same size. Yes, we talked about that today. <laughs> even to Absolutely. Grow and, uh, replacing, exactly. Yes, yes. And replacing six. That's a lot of pictures uh, to replace, um, you know, but we're, we're trying, we're getting out there. And, you know, one of the things that has been a great gift for us over the last few years is that a lot of young adult ministries have really popped up uh, throughout the diocese. And so been able to connect to some of those and just get to know people and be present to them and, and talk about discernment, talk about, um, you know, sometimes it's not even talking about priesthood. It's just a matter of bringing in to the conversation, what does God want me to do with my life? Right. We're all we're all pretty familiar with what we want to do with our lives, uh, but bringing God into that conversation. So that's been one of the, the big things uh, that we've been trying to do. Um, thank, thanks to my uh, work as chaplain to the superintendent's office, um, but also really working heavily with our Catholic schools. Right. You know, this is uh, we're trying to create. I think the best way to put it is, you know, a culture of vocations. Right. Where the idea of thinking about priesthood, the idea of thinking about religious life, the idea of thinking about marriage as vocation, as what God is calling you to do is just normal. It's just what we do. 
um, in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And so we have uh, instituted, for example, the Vocations Chalice Program in all of our Catholic elementary schools. So each of them has a, a chalice that goes around from classroom to classroom. And uh, when they have the chalice, they commit to praying for vocations and praying for our seminarians. Um, we'll be launching a vocations curriculum in our schools and in our parish programs over the next year uh, as well. And, you know, we are also excited. This is a great time, I think, for me to announce uh, this initiative, uh, the launch of our own podcast uh, competition? on vocations called A Priest Forever. <laughs> Con- never competition. Never competition. We are all on the same team. <laughs> we are all on the same team. Uh, so our, uh, our first episode will, will drop is dropping, uh, uh, February 21st, just yesterday. So, um, great way to start Lent by, by getting to know some of the priests in our diocese, our first episode with father Mike Dunn. Uh, you can check that out, um, on YouTube, uh, or wherever you get your, what podcasts, is it again called? Uh, Say as it again. well. A, a priest, priest forever. Got it. Good. A priest I look forward forever. to it. Yeah. And all of our all of our social media mm-hmm. stuff, all of our things is just Bridgeport Priest. So whether you're looking for us on Instagram, YouTube, um, even our website, it's BridgeportPriest.com. Uh, so oh, and both. .com. Either okay, one good, will get you. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We we have all good. angles covered, Bishop. We don't want anyone what... to to mistakenly go to a different oh, diocese. No, we don't want that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, so we are we are working with that. We're excited that uh, you know we we've had uh, some new uh, some new chaplains have started in some of our high schools, and so we're excited mm-hmm. to be working with them uh, to continue to, to develop uh, a culture mm-hmm. of vocations um, in our high schools uh, as well. So we and, and one of the other things we've been really really conscious of, I think, is our diocese is blessed in a lot of ways. But one is that it is probably one of the most diverse dioceses in the country. When you really think about ethnically, racially, socioeconomically, I mean, there is there is not an aspect of American life and culture that is not present within the bounds of this geographically pretty small diocese. Um, and so we want to make sure, you know, that that our priesthood reflects that. Um, and so we, we've been very intentional about, you know, maybe being present in some in some communities that that we haven't been as as much before, um, because there's a lot of work to be done. And there's there's you know, it's hard to be in, in two places at once. It's even harder to be in three. So we're trying to just be pretty intentional. And I'm very grateful as well to the work and to the support of Father Abelardo, Father Eric Silva, uh, who have who have been partnering with me on the vocations team for the last couple of years and um, have helped really bring some um some great men. I mean, St. Joe's High School in Trumbull has just continued to be a real powerhouse uh, for vocations. I think, you know, a, a significant percentage of our presbytery under the age of 40 um, are alum of St. Joe's. And we have, I think there's uh, three or four men now in formation who are alum of St. Joe's. So, um, you know, working with our high schools, our Catholic schools is is already bearing fruit and we're hoping that it'll continue to do so. Um so that's uh, that's a, just a little yeah, bit, I no, guess. Of, as of I've what said to you before, exactly. Trying. There's tremendous, there's tremendous good work being done, and I'm grateful to you and to the team and everybody who's involved. I like the image of changing the culture, because not only does it reflect the vocabulary of the one that we have spoken about, and I will continue to speak about, it, but if you change the culture of the church, 
then it changes the perspective of just about everything and all the presumptions that people come with, right? Because my experience has been there are many, many young people, men and women, women discerning religious life of all different congregations, men discerning priesthood, married men discerning diaconate, both discerning marriage, where they come with the presumptions of the secular world that they hear in so many different ways. And it, it, it puts you so far behind where a fruitful discernment could occur, right? You need quiet of the spirit to do that discernment, right? So if I were, to, if I were a young man, I said to you, I follow forward, how do I discern a kid? Like, what, what, what do I do? Do I sit in a room and sit quietly and wait for a thunderbolt? Or do I, well, how do I do this? The first thing I say, I would, I say, and say this to most guys when they come to meet with me is, is you don't do it alone. And, and I mean that in two ways. One is you do it with God, right? There's a, there's a famous story of um, a Jesuit at, at Creighton, Father Larry, who is blind and college students see a blind Jesuit and they think Yoda. Right. So they, they go to meet with him all the time and, and ask him about, you know, what, what, which house should they, which they do with their life and all this other thing. And, and the way their story is typically told by, by father Jim Rafferty is that your know, father always responds to them, you know, let's imagine God told me, like, I know exactly what he wants you to do with your life. And I was going to tell you, are you willing to do it? And that's the question that we don't struggle with enough that we mm-hmm. don't think about enough. Um, the first step to discernment is relationship. The first step to discernment is just getting this falling in love with God and and coming to realize and receive like in a sense, like how delighted in you are by the father and how loved you are by the father. That's the first step in discernment, because only if you are convicted of how beloved you are and how delighted in you are by the father is whatever he asks you going to do makes because sense. Because of, of the relationship. So the parallel, if I may, if, yeah. uh, if a spouse, if a wife asks of her husband or a husband his wife an act of sacrifice, what motivates you to say yes is the love that you share between you. It's the fact that you're doing yeah. it for someone that you really care about. If it was a stranger, there are those who are altruistic who would do it. But the vast majority of us would at least question why I would do this. There's no claim on the person, right? right. But God makes a claim in the right. beautiful, in the most beautiful sense of the word, right? That makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. So then, how do you develop that then in this discernment? Keep going. So far, you so far A plus. So, you have so A plus. You, Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so so then, one of the other things I always try to to do is is okay. Who else are you talking to, right? And Often that means a spiritual director, right? I think that's a really essential component. And we have been blessed where we have several priests in our diocese who whenever I call them and say, hey, I've got a young man who's discerning. Um, Would you help him really grow interiorly? Uh, They're they're always, always willing to do it. And that has Mm -hmm. become a great gift because the men who are discerning are discerning intentionally. Um, you know, and we walk with them throughout that process and I'll check in with them regularly and, and make sure that they're, um, they're growing first and foremost in, in holiness Mm -hmm. and in their desire for a relationship with God. Um, and then the most kind of practical thing I can, I can say is, is to pay attention to desire. Again, the deep desires of your heart. 
Um, I, I'm really a firm believer that God speaks very often through our desires and through the movements of our hearts, what attracts us and what doesn't at a really deep level. And because the thing is, is there are always going to be aspects of every vocation, whether you're talking about priesthood, religious life, marriage, doesn't matter. There are going to be aspects of it that you like, and there are going to be aspects that you don't like that are more challenging. But underneath it all, God speaks through peace. And I think generally speaking, if you're, if you're contemplating the things of priesthood, if you're contemplating the things of, of whatever it is you're trying to discern, even though there might be pieces of it on the surface that you're not wild about or you're scared of or whatever, God's going to speak through a real deep movement of the heart that just gives you peace that says, this is where I belong. Um, and, and I, and the only reason I can say that is cause that's how it happened for me. Um, you know, that was really what my own experience was, was, you know, that, um, just that real deep abiding peace, like it just fit and it's right. hard to put right. into words, but it's, uh, that, which is why you need help, right. <laughs> which is why you need, um, you know, a, a good right. spiritual director is worth their weight in gold. And then some friends, who you can share this with in a real vulnerable, profound way um, mm-hmm. to say, look, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And, and you'd be amazed at, at how often the affirmation right. comes, uh, right. even from right. friends and family that, right. oh, yeah, that makes right. a lot of right. sense for you. So I have often, uh, you know, I often encourage people. I'm sure you do as well. You know, you see a young man and he has, you know, he's reverent and he's prayerful. Just go up and say, have you ever thought of a vocation to priesthood, because sometimes it's that little nudge. All right, so what are the signs that people should see in a young person that should provoke them to say, hmm, this young man may have a vocation? What are the signs? So I think it's 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 probably a little different for each guy, I think, but um, one is just a sense of like is he personable, right? Is he, is he someone you can just generically have a conversation with, right? Um, sometimes the first judgment you can kind of make is if I was to go up to this guy and suggest priesthood, would he be open to just even having a conversation with me or would he run in the other direction, right? Even if he doesn't know what I'm talking about yet. So I think personableness is definitely one. I definitely think prayerfulness um, is, is obviously super, super important, right? We, we can't really ever see the, the interior of someone's soul. Um, but we can sometimes see the fruits, ah, right? Is this some fruits? Yeah. All right. So what does that mean? Again, I think, you know, we look at, I mean, look at scripture, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what are the fruits of mm-hmm. the spirit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Kindness, joy, peacefulness, mm-hmm. gentleness, mildness, right? All of those things, the reason that we're given that list of fruits of the spirit is not just so we can identify them in ourselves, but so we can identify them in others. The reason I make this point is because I think sometimes people labor under the very strange notion that the signs are that you want to see someone who is um, quiet, reserved, pious, um, almost monk-like. And my experience has been that that's true. That's, that's great. But, but 
the men being called priesthood come in all different shapes and sizes, all different personalities and careers. You know, some are 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 you know love the outdoors, uh, carpenters work with their hands. You know, you can tell them apart in a bar if you had met them. What before they? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's there's a stereotype that I, yeah. I, I'm trying to I guess say don't fall into that because the signs may be more nuanced, right? Very much so, because there's a there's a saying that that is common, I think, among vocations directors and those of vocations ministry, that the very same qualities that make someone a good priest are the very same qualities that would make them a good husband ah, and father. Excellent. I agree. Right. Because you are. I agree. <laughs> you are still a spouse and a spiritual father. That that is that is there's a reality of of priesthood. Uh, so it is very subtle and it's very nuanced. And I, and that's why I think, I think the way that you phrased the question Bishop is so important, which is not like, Oh, you know, even just saying you'd be a great priest. No. Have you ever thought of a vocation to the priesthood? Just put the thought because every, I'm a firm believer of this. Every single Catholic man at some point in his life, hopefully prior to marriage or ordination should be thinking at some point should ask the question, God, are you calling me to priesthood? Right. Now for a lot of guys, it's going to be no, but you have to ask the question. And the truth of the matter is, I think the insight that a person called to priesthood is not a default call, meaning you could do nothing else, but it's a choice, a free will choice that the Lord is asking of you. Because if you could not be a good father and a good husband, I can guarantee you, you will not be a good priest. It's as simple as that. Right. Right? And having said that, then I think the other piece to this puzzle, which I want to alert our listeners to, and I want your thoughts about, is there are many young men who may be entertaining a vocation, right, discerning a vocation, and do not believe they are worthy of it or they have what it takes to be one, right, or it, or they just think it couldn't possibly be me. Am, am I off the mark here, Father Ford? No, no, you are 100% on the mark. In fact, you just mm-hmm. described me. Um, you know, I, uh, I, this is, I, I love telling this story is, you know, ordination is a really emotional moment, right? Is, um, as you you've seen right you saw I mean you saw me at my ordinations I mean I was I, at priesthood ordination one of my friends said I looked like I got hit by a truck uh, but I remember going into the acting ordination wondering I'm a, I can be a pretty emotional person at times and so I, I knew I was going to cry and I was wondering when and for most guys it's it's pretty predefined right it's the laying out of hands or the prostration, right? Or, or a particularly impactful mentor coming through the line for, for the sign of peace. And I just remember, Lou, I absolutely lost it. We, we, we walked down the aisle. I'm standing next to my mother and my father. Mass begins. And, we've, and we say the words that we have all said thousands of times in our lives. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. And I lost it. I absolutely lost it because, and I had literally just gone to confession before I walked down the aisle. I mean, I was, you were ready. I was trying to be in a safe. I was, I was good, 
you're not worthy. No. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, I think that the easiest way to say is like, you're not. Um, none of us are. Right? When you, especially when you put it in perspective of what God invites us to do. Right. To be a, such a tangible sign of his presence, of his merciful love, of, of forgiving sins, of preparing a soul to go home to God, of, you know, water and wine and bread becoming the real true presence of Christ. It's we're not, you know. But God calls us and even his call is a sign of his mercy and is a sign of his love for us. You know, I, one of my first spiritual directors, my, it was my pastor in Pennsylvania said something that I thought was really profound, which is that we always look at the priesthood as, as saving souls, right. And, 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 and cooperating with God in that. But the first soul we're called to cooperate in the salvation of is our own, right? The priesthood is, is how God is calling me to receive the gift of salvation in my own life by working for the salvation of right. others. Right. Right. So, you know, vocations so, of that. Um, right. So in a sense, if, if, if one is married, then your spouse was chosen as the one unique companion to walk with you to heaven. Right. Yeah. And again, when we draw the parallel to marriage, I would, I would surmise that when spouses take, take each other for granted, like a priest takes for granted his people, is when you get into trouble, right? Yeah. In the end, you know, I've often said it here, I, I love the spousal image. Um, celibacy becomes bachelorhood when a priest is struggling with loneliness or other things and doesn't realize that his joy is giving his life over to his spouse. Because we're men, right? The, the discipline of the church from, from Christ is that men are called to priesthood and ordained priests. And as men, there is a desire for unitive and procreative life. But it's in a totally spiritual way for a priest than a, a man who may be married, yeah. right? And therefore, your unitive is with Christ in his mystical body, and the procreation is the fruit of your work, which you may or may not see. So it's not an easy life necessarily, but it is an extraordinary life. It's absolutely extraordinary, yeah. right? So all the young men who are listening to all the great observations you're making, I hope they start taking it to heart because they can call you anytime. Could they not? They can. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think, and I, and I think, Bishop, I think it, it, especially continuing that spousal image, I think it's really important to remember that if, if God is calling you to be a priest, he's calling you to be a priest, who you are, your personality, your likes, your dislikes, your skills, your abilities, your talents, your weak, whatever, he will find a way to make use of all of them. Uh, that is, you know, the reality that he wants you. <laughs> he doesn't want this fictional version of you that, you, you know, like, no, he works in reality and he wants you for who you are. And because of that, if you say yes, with generosity and faith, he is going to work through you to affect people that nobody right. else ever could. Right. And even our limitations and even our faults 
can be vehicles of conversion for others as a priest. You, we, all of our life is sacramentalized in some ways, right? Uh, yeah. I, I just think in the end, it's, um, it is a, all the vocations of the church, all the states of life of the church are beautiful. But when we speak about priesthood, I think it is the one that allows the greatest possibility right, of of allow of allowing yourself to become a living bridge to God, right? And sometimes a bridge is walked over. Fine, it's okay for the greater mm -hmm. good, right? Of of what happens at the end. So uh, I, you're doing great work, Father Ford. I really mean that. Right? And I'm not pulling your legs. You know how I am. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. I think you're doing a great job. I think the men who are in formation, I agree with you a thousand percent. They are fine young men, extraordinary, really extraordinary men. And I think from our conversation earlier today, which we're not going to go into here, <coughs> some of the men who are aspiring, applying, again, the diversity, the richness of experience, I think our diocese right, is moving in the right direction right, in this. And I'm very grateful for your work. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Yeah. And if, if you're listening and you have questions and you're wondering, you can go to bridgeportpriest.com um, or look up Bridgeport Priest on any, on most social media platforms as well. Okay. So this is, uh, we're going to take um, our second break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Father Chris Ford, who is the vocations director here in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Um, again, if you have any questions, if you're wondering if God is calling you, uh, go to bridgeportpriest.com and we will be right back. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, this one is uh, very interesting. Mm -hmm. It says, Your Excellency, mm -hmm. I heard in a talk that the climax of the Mass is at the final doxology. Is that true? I would have thought it was the moment of transubstantiation. Thank you. Well, I think um, from a liturgical point of view, it would make sense that the concluding doxology of the Eucharistic prayer is the summation of all that has been offered, all that has come into our midst, and we offer praise to, right, through him, with him, in him, to God, right? So it makes sense. But to be honest, if you were to ask me personally, what is the what is the culmination, right? It's when I receive Holy Communion. It's when the Lord, who has come into our midst, enters, Lord, I am not worthy to enter into under my roof. It's when the communion is made complete when he comes to me and to each of us. So in a sense, I understand the liturgical point of whatever the, the speaker was saying, but it, it really is, um, it's, a, it's a question that people should meditate on, right? Because I don't mm -hmm. think there's a right or wrong answer. The point is, he's coming to us to become one with us. 
right in the yeah. mystery of his death and resurrection mm -hmm. yeah and in the mass it's all good without a doubt <laughs> even the collection even the announcements <laughs> Yes, it's all yeah. part. Of, it's all part of it. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the Saint Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring "Let Me Be Frank" to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Father Ford, thank you so much for joining us today. What a hoot this conversation has oh, been. It certainly was. And I, again, and I think, as I said, you're doing a great job with vocations, but also I'm very grateful for all the things that you do, because it really is a lot on your plate. Right? So well done. Well done. You want to um, plug your podcast and the website again, Father? Yeah, absolutely. The podcast is A Priest Forever. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube at Bridgeport Priest and uh, find more information, uh, including how to contact our office if you have questions or thinking about priesthood, uh, BridgeportPriest.com. Awesome. And Excellency, before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Yes. What I'm going to do is ask Father Ford to give us his blessing. Well, the Lord be with you. And with your spirit. And through the intercession of Most Blessed Mother Mary, may God continue to make his merciful presence known in your lives, that you may be confident in his love for you and respond in generosity. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father Ford. Steve, Thank as you. always, it was great to be with you. Thanks, Excellency. Thanks, Father. See Thank you next you week. Bye-bye.